to the Mark podcast show. People who coined paranormal terms, or said to coin paranormal terms. Vincent Gradius, G-A-D-D-I-S, the Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda Triangle is one of the most famous, supposedly haunted spots on the planet. History goes back pretty far, long before the ill-fated Flight 19 left Florida and in, disappeared into the notorious waters of the Triangle. Even Christopher Columbus made notes of strange lights, and even strange compass readings that he was getting within the confines of what he would call, what will be called Bermuda Triangle much later. The term itself date, only dates back to 16, 1964, which is used by writer Vincent Gladrius in an article for the Aragosy magazine, A-R-G-O-S-Y. Story of the missing Flight 19 was on the cover. And Jessica's dubbed in the area as a Buna Triangle gave the myth a different sort of life. In the article, Gradius recounted some of the mysterious, most famous disappearances of the area, including the tanker Marine Sulphur Queen, in 1963, and two KC-135 oil tanker jets in the same year. He went on to say that more than 1,000 people disappeared there over the course of the previous two decades, with the U.S. military publicly claiming they were baffled. Credits wrote that the Bermuda Triangle underlines the fact that despite swift rings and the voice of radio, we still have no, we have well learned enough to know. Enough that men and these machines and ships can disappear without trace. Part of the problem with the travel conditions in the building triangle was not just the weather, but also the fact that it's a centre of some sort of natural phenomenon, being one of the few places where Chunu from Atlantic North sync up, which can affect compass readings. But when Gratis used the term building triangle alongside the words menace and mysterious weather and abnormally, he called it called Hole in the Sky, the name elevated the area into something more ominous. Charles Rickett, Richard, R-I-C-H-E-T, Echopasm. Echopasm is essentially the stuff that ghosts are made of during the Victorian era. Fences, seances were all the rage. If little death set a sight of hand, good leadership, could convince the audience they were channeling spirits in a very physical form. Everyday materials like cheesecloth, bits of animal, that this mysterious outworldly substance that Charles Rickett first called echopasm. Before anyone condemns the idea of myth- as mythical nonsense, important to note Richard has serious scientific credentials, a winner of Nobel Prize for his work on anaphylaxia, A-A-N-P-H-Y-L-A-X-I-S, and anagens. His interest in activism was scientific. Scientists already knew, after after all, that living cells have plasma in them. It doesn't seem too far-fetched, then, to believe the uni- there are other types of plasma making up parts of this universe. The idea of actors as a plasma been well documented in sciences dating back to the year of 1870, but Richard didn't officially coin the term into his 1923 book, 30 Years of Psycho-Research Being a Treatise of Metaphysics.
metaphysics. He described it tentacle-like, filament-like substance that came from somewhere on the medium body but didn't have to remain connected to the person. You would notice that it's a very personal thing. It's a substance that seemed to reach out its way to its way around an unfamiliar mortal world. Richard didn't make the word up either. It had legitimate scientific uses before it came to be associated with the presence of spirits. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, it first showed up in 1883 a reference to the description to a genuine light body of anema. Ian T. Sanderson out to place artifacts. Like countless other paranormal researchers and believers in things out of the world, Ivan T. Sanderson, S-A-D-T-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, started out on legitimate science, educated at Eton and Cambridge. He travelled the world collecting and colonising specimens on those for noted British museums and even worked for the British Ministry of Information during World War Two. During the war, he was stationed in New York City and there that his life seemed to take a detour from legitimate science to the grimace from a realm of his public of the public eye. Starting out as a suspected nature writer, he moved to, on to television radio, discovered that the idea unknown, the paranormal mantras, even provided better stories to tell than he'd been doing all along been doing all along. By the 1960s work was almost exclusive in the non-traditional science, made Bigfoot a household name, established a society for investigators and explained and published his own magazine. Not only did he innovate the idea of Bigfoot and help convince people with, with, with way too much money to hunt, find hunts, it's for the exclusive creature, he also coined the term ooh hearts or out-of-place artefacts refer to objects that couldn't be explained by conventional science. Sanderson claimed that other parts were found all over the earth, often embedded in geographical record, the appearance in many places were where they shouldn't be. It was clearly a clue that something was going on that we that more going on than we knew about. Writers like David Hatch's Childrist C H I L D D R E S has gone on to make the idea of honor parts one of the cold stones were paranormal and explained, citing instances of ancient Roman coins showing up in Latin American graves and treasure troves of stone with Asvurian writing, A S S Y R I A N, copying up in the Americas that proved that countless civilizations vanished across the Atlantic. John Wall Ward Lucan Bayuku B L U C I E N B L A N C O U Bernard Halvermans H E U V E L A M S Cryptology and Cryptids Cryptozoology is one arguably one of the most well known unscientific sciences. The origins and the name are as matic as the creature it claims to study. First time the term was used in a print is recent, in fairly recent, in 1959, a book written by a French author called Lucien Bianco. Bianco's dedication started 
stated he was writing for Bernard Hermans, whom he credited as a master of cryptozoology. Hermans himself claimed he was one who came up with the term, but another person, Ivan T. Sanson, had admitted coming up with the same word at the same time in another part of the world. In another version of the story, Hellman said it was Solderson who first came up with a word of, of his own and should get the credit for using it first. It must be not it might be not as clear cut as that either. A different form of the word cryptozoology was used in a nineteen forty one review of a book called Lungfish and a Dodo and a Unicorn written by Willie Lay. A subtitle Exclusion into Roman Romantic Zoology. The book was a compilation of creatures, both fantastic and mythological collection of facts determined to these mythical beasts. While the term cryptologist and cryptoid must be seen, might be seen to go in hand in hand, cryptoid wasn't coined until much later. 1983, John Rawl wrote a letter to National International Society of Cryptozoology proposed the term as a sort of catch of all word. It would not be would only be applied to any but all unknown unusual beasts, but as one that sounds a bit more scientific than words used before. The definition of crypto has continued to be argued for years after. It's only in the two thousand four that community agreed that one of the organized potential equipped into four different groups. Members of species appearing outside their accepted range, individuals <coughs> as well known species <coughs> showing a distinct and undocumented variation such as size and colour. <coughs> a creature bearing a resemblance to an extinct species or course, creature previously unknown and undocumented. Jenny Randall's L A N D L E S the odds factor. There are several things that often come up when people recount alleged encounters with UFO. One of the weird senses of claim comes over them while they're looking up to something uh, something extraterrestrial. In eighteen nineteen eighty three, British author and paranormal researcher. General Randall's named this dissociative mental state as the Oz factor after the original land of Oz. According to Randall's, the Oz factor says loads about what's going on during these encounters, and she thinks that the calm that descends over some people is a clear sign that aliens aren't just taking people's physical form but their consciousness as well. She developed the term. While investigating a close encounter that involved two men, one saw an ancient craft while the other saw nothing. No one in the area saw anything, and even them dealt the first witness's credibility. Randall's took over another approach. He started to develop the idea there was a zone of influence around an alien craft. Only those within the zones were able to see and remember the craft being about their all. Most research she did, and more witnesses she interviewed, the more she began to see patterns in the witness claims. As long as she's asking them the right questions, according to her, there's a sort of mental tinge, a sense that something was calling to them, a fading wave of ambient sounds, a sense of complete isolation. 
if you found that such a character and an outreach of 2.6 witnesses to her and suggested that some of these encounters were focused only on an individual and moving them or their conscience from reality in a way that interrupted the normal flow of information between brain and the world outside, like heading off to the magical world of Oz. Alfred Watkins, Ley Lines Today, Ley Lines is a fanciful word for paranormal, referring to a network of lines that cross the globe and connect faraway places through magical light energy. Whether they are the stuff of New Age claims, dowsing or magnetism, ley lines are definitely the stuff of the mystical, mystical and they, cannot, they actually didn't start that way. In 1921, Alfred Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N, was riding along the English countryside when he stopped at the top of a hill. He was struck by the extraordinary pattern of the landscape below, which was laid out in a series of strange paths. These paths, he discovered, get everything from the ancient burrows to the old churches, from standing stones to the centuries-old trees. Watkins would describe this moment as a flood of astral memory, and he would go on to map these straight lines that radiated out all these incredible important locations. By September 1921, gave his first lecture on these lines, at which he called Ley Lines. He pitched the error idea that they were all over the country. The ideas were pretty simple, rooted, and in regular history. Watkins suggested that these Ley Lines attacks of ancient people who once walked the land, the remains of the ancient trade routes running between major locations. He named Beacon, beacon Sites. Along the ley lines were make, make, marking points, tracing the ancient path across the landscape. They traversed by cracked craftsmen wandering from one village to another, and by religious pilgrims going back and forth between churchyards, cairns, and menomenoths. They were laid out by men tracing the shortest distance between two points, a straight line. When Watkins died in 1935, his straight track club, a group dedicated to mapping these ley lines, died with him. They failed to get the mainstream ecology to accept their theory, but when John Mitchell learned of it, he turned ley lines into a series of mythical connections, mapping the energy grid and connecting Britain's ancient sites. Ian, Ivan T. Sanderson, The Great Devil's Graveyard and the Vile Vortex. In the early 1970s, Ivan T. Sanderson ran first... First ran a diagram on an article in the Spectacliffe magazine stating what he called the Twelve Vultures. The title of the article, The Twelve Devils, Graveyards Around the World, just as sensational as you imagine, built on his previous work on the Bermuda Triangle. According to Sanderson, the twelve places were located across the globe have an uncanny rate of disappearance of planes, ships and people, and the disappearance of identified by... by Patterns of electronical magnetic vibrations that they got. Areas he went on to say form a definite pattern themselves, located at 72 degree intervals across the globe. The 12 are North and South Poles, Bermuda Triangle, the Jurigan Megalith ruins near Tobuku, Karachi in Pakistan, the Devil Seas Triangle near Ayo-Jaroya, Kaluri, southwest of Hawaii, the Megaliths of Skura-Wak 
Emperor Nana Manoru in Microsia, centre of culture of South America, Easter Island, and Gabon in West Africa. When his article, with it, when his article and his theories were pub- went public, series a group of researchers from the Soviet Union released a subsequent paper posing the idea that world which was laid out in the form of, of a decacron, twelve-sided dice. That twelve vortexes fit neatly within the model. David Hatcher Childers also theorized to that these twelve vortexes might mean attempts to map what he called the world grid. Being suggested that all sites of these electromagnetic memories are recently recorded, are actually recorded in addition to mysterious, are regularly recorded in, in addition to mysterious disappearances and other sorts of activity or weeks of weak spots and locations of doorways to other dimensions when doorways of the valve orchards is open. Jen I J Allen Heidnick H Y N E K Close Encounters The term close encounters was made famous by close encounters of third kind. It was coined by astrologer Jason, Joseph Allen Heilick. There are seven different kinds of encounters, ranging from first kind, seeing objects in the sky, to the seventh kind, mating and creation of a human alien hybrid. And Freud's terms come back is rather odd. Heinrich was a consultant on the Project Blue Book, the Taurus US Air Force project investigating UFO sightings. Heinrich was one of the chief sceptics involved, although he later came out as one of the major supporters of the need to investigate UFO sighting and other diligence given to any other scientific phenomenon. Well before Project Brubock, he had long been fascinated by the cult and the extraterrestrial writings of the Rus Rus Osiricians, R O S I C R U C I A N. In 1948, he was a part of the project sign that Air Force's initial investigation to UFO attempt to discover the truth that what they believed in to be top so Soviet technology. Heydrich spent decades debunking sightings as meteors, planets, and weather balloons. For but during the interviews of countless military pilots, he later reported he was starting to make change of heart. By 1966, he had completely separated himself from the stuck programs and called for the organisation to committee to scientists to study what he could believe to be a very real threat. Heinrich made a massive hit, took a massive hit to credibility in what had been filled for decades. By 1968, peers had been previously suspecting were viewing him with greater and greater contempt in his book, 1972 book. The UFO experience, the scientific quarry, was failed. Was a failed attempt at getting some of the respect back. And in the book, Heydrich detailed his classified system of close encounters as an attempt to bring some scientific credibility to the study of UFOs. But astronomers were having none of it, especially when Heydrich joined the television circus, a panel of experts formed by the National Enquirer. Gene Paul Doppelganger.
But my idea of a doppelganger is an, an, an inseparable creepy one, meaning one who goes twice. Far back as ancient Rome, a former doppelganger was used when an emperor died. When an emperor's real body went through all the entities that went along with death and cremation, effigy was constructed to simply, simply be attacked by attended by doctors, mourned by subjects, and finally cremated in public. Process same process was done in medieval Europe, but it wasn't until the 1780s. 1790s that writer John Ball coined the term doppelganger. In, 19, in 1796, Jean Paul wrote Sina Binekias, S-I-E-B-E-N-K-A-S, a story of two men so identical they were able to exchange their names, leaving no one the wiser. The men, Sibirikas and Link Gilberger, L-I-E-B. G-E-B-E-R were opposite in personality as, as they were identical in appearance and when they married some unexpected woman hilarity of the 19th century hilarity of the 18th century variety ensued Jean Paul have long been obsessed with the idea of the sketch between appearance and personality Writing some eerie stuff about centuries of prognosis and situations that completely divided the mind and the body. In the invisible lodge, as yet unnamed doppelgangers were wax dolls that all duplicated, duplicated all of novels, humans' characters, and attempt to show how disconnected our minds and our bodies can be. In another book, Hesperius, H E S P E R R S, the main character makes a wax double of himself and descends into a complete mental disconnect between bodies. By his third book on the suit in Boris, it is not an easy reading. The book was so bizarre that it has a dubious honour of being banned by censors who deemed it incomprehensible and pointless. The term doppelganger struck again, sort of. As originally there are two men who, call, who are called doppelganger, which John Paul called the name of people who came themselves. The term doppelganger was actually used to describe two courses in a meal, served together as opposed to one another, one after the other. Men in Black, Albert Bender, Bender and Gray Barker. Well, men in Black are arguably the eeriest of all figures of modern folklore. Clearly, military and shove out after a close encounters and these those who see them describe them as have, have certain physical characteristics that suggest, however, greatly them heard some stories about the what meant to be human. It hasn't really bothered to experience it firsthand. It started out as a bit of a joke and a cool one at that. In the 1950s, uh, in the uh, 1950s, a man named Albert Bender. From the interview, International Flying Saucer and started publication in the magazine Space Review. The organization sounding official as it was, as it was. The only member, Albert Bender, he ran out of the home he shared with his grandfather. The skull decorated what he called the cream of horrors. He soon hired someone to fill the role with the chief investigator, a man called Gary Barker. By this time, Pladdy. Project Blue Book have released its finding, and the UFO really 
wasn't the threat that some people, including the independent organisations like Bender, were making them out to be. Murray's man, man Ben operation wasn't named in particular. Reports sent Bender spiralling into off the deep end. He'd already been teetering on. He noticed that local paper that he was shutting down his organisation. He also found that he visited by three men in dark suits who threatened him, told him he'd better stop publishing information about UFOs. He knew what was good for him. Gary Barker knew good story when he saw one, and in 1962 he convinced Bender to write a book detailing what happened to him, flying saucers and free moon, detailed Bender's experiences, actually projecting him to an alien base in Antarctica, where he met aliens who had three different genders and were often his received visions of the government-type men they became a first-hand account. This became a first-hand account of someone that Baker already written one with. He wrote his own book. He knew too much about flying saucers, which he made up the entire story about the men in black. There's sometimes a sad footage. There's something of a fad footnote to this story. Baker saw his work as entertainment rather than anything that anyone would take seriously. But in order to build up the myth behind the men in black, he went on as far as to sending letters to the other UFO publications on the stationery and appeared to be from the US Department of Defence and the imaginary men in black. Bender, meanwhile, was possibly suffering from adrenaline delusions and some sort of paranormal that made him think that men in black really were up to get him. And the delusion was spread to pop culture by one enterprising writer.